and welcome back. I'm Hope, and this is Write For You, the podcast from the University of Washington's Odegaard Writing and Research Center about graduate writing, how it happens, and what comes next. Together in open dialogue, we talk with graduate and postgraduate writers about how writing and revision is practiced, peaks, valleys, and everything else along the way. Listen in as we talk tips, strategies, and clarifying moments, and maybe you'll even find something that sounds right for you. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Sarah and Mariah. We zoomed in for this conversation, so you may hear a little evidence of that in our recording, but hopefully we're all used to that by now. Sarah and Mariah got their PhDs in 2020 and 2019, respectively, and now, with the benefit of a few years out of graduate school, they reflect on writing both within and beyond the scope of the dissertation. It's an engaging and insightful conversation, so without further ado, here they are. So I am Mariah Taylor, Mariah C. Taylor, because there's some other Maria Taylors out there. And I am currently a lecturer in the College of Built Environments, teaching in urban planning and landscape architecture here at the University of Washington. And I did a master's degree here, uh, but I finished my PhD three years ago at the University of Michigan in architectural history and theory. So that's my primary mode of writing and area of research. I'm Sarah Faulkner. I'm in the English department here at UW, and I finished my PhD in 2020 and have been staying on um, as part-time faculty for the last two years. And my field is 18th, 19th century. I work with women's fiction, so I do Jane Austen, Mary Shelley, and I work with the historical novel as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm working full-time right now outside of UW as well as teaching and really trying to get back onto my writing project. So. I'm excited to talk about it. And then the purpose of introductions, um, I use she, her pronouns. Um, oh, sorry, yeah. And my name is spelled with no H at the end, but pronounced like rye bread or Mariah Carey, if that helps anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, would you like to describe how you describe your writing habits? Um, in describing my writing habits, I immediately want to go into my, my bad habits. But I feel like I gravitate towards longer writing sessions. I want to plan, you know, long chunks of time um, in which I can write. And I really find that I am writing more consistently and getting more done if I'm working within those smaller, you know, two hours every day style of writing. Um, routines, I definitely have routines. I feel like I'm very ritualistic about writing, both like academic writing um, and then also creative writing. I've been working on a novel over the last two years. And I feel like my processes for both of those have started to blend of like, I'm very specific, sometimes about, you know, even what I'm wearing, you know, or I I make sure I have my cup of tea next to me, like I have to have my certain playlist on. And those things really help me sort of get into the creative mood of writing. But I think, you know, we can talk about this more later, but they can also sometimes feel like if I'm at a cafe and I have an hour I could be like, oh, I could write, but I don't have my perfect tea, you know? So I think sometimes I get a little too ritualistic about it. But I think in general, I always just kind of try and start with a word vomit, you know, to kick it all off just to get the juices flowing. Um, And I really try to not edit while I'm writing. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about, but I feel like that's generally how I get started is with sort of like a, you know, brainstorming session. Yeah. And I guess we could also talk about like what kind of writing projects because 
writing on a creative, like I'm starting something new is so different than I'm currently trying to take a chapter of my dissertation that then sort of lived for a while in conference papers and lived as a um, draft for a chapter for an edited volume. And now it's going to be a article and a special issue, hopefully. And so trying to take all these other drafts of things and then like revive them and rework them for this new audience or new format is different type of writing practice. Oh yeah. The revision process is so different because I feel like I am immediately overwhelmed, you know, taking something like a chapter and trying to, to rework with it. That's something I would like to get better at is opening up a big document like that and not immediately just being like, Oh my gosh, I have to completely rehaul this, you know, how to approach it like piece by piece. I'd say, um, I guess my writing habits, I used to have those big chunks of time and want to like, okay, this is my writing day. I'm going to be in this zone for the next four hours. And definitely the combination of having a family, um, working from home (laughs) during the pandemic, uh, and now teaching full-time has really pushed me to, Mm -hmm. like, it's just not possible to write that way unless I really start at 9 p.m. every night and work till midnight, which if I do that more than once a week, I'm a wreck. Like I'm not in my twenties anymore. I can't do that. So I have found, and this is in part the national center for faculty development and diversity or diversity and development. The NCFDD has influenced me and they emphasize like writing just small amounts of time, but regularly rather than waiting for the huge chunks to magically appear. Yeah. What was that organization again? I haven't heard of it. It was something someone recommended to me. The University of Washington has a membership, like an institutional membership. And so we can log in and they have webinars and they have forums and they have sort of boot camps that they do. I have tried to do the like every morning, even if it's just 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And it pushes you to break down those big projects into like, okay, what's the first step? What's one thing I can do? You know, maybe I can't re-envision the entire scope of the argument, but I can send those five emails about the image permissions that I need. Mm-hmm. And so it moves the writing along, even yeah. if it's not writing exactly. I definitely need to transition into that. I've also been working full-time and teaching. And I think in many ways, because during my dissertation work, I was teaching, but I could take those long chunks of time. And, and my work is incredibly archive-based. And so a lot of my time was parsing through archival material or actually traveling to archives. And so I think I felt like my work was on a very, not that it was on a big scale, but that it just took big chunks of time. You know, I spend the whole day in the Uh library because I had a four week fellowship at this library. So I had to go and spend a whole day. And I think now, you know, that I have other responsibilities that take up the nine to five, it definitely is, you know, the question of when do I do it? Do I do six to eight or do I do nine to midnight? Like you're saying. Um, And I think that's been a big part of my post-grad life is trying to not only figure out where to fit it in, but I think also like if I want to fit it in, you know, like right now I, there, I look at my week sometimes and I'm like, I could spend two evenings this week working on my writing or I could relax after my days, you know? So I think it would be better for me of having like, I always tell myself I'm going to do like a writing happy hour. Like 
if I'm working from home, you know, I'm normally done by four, right? I'm rarely working actually until five. And so it's like, what if I just made four to five each day, my writing happy hour. And like, that's the only thing I did during that one hour. Cause yeah, I, I definitely need that structure. But if I can't have the freedom myself to work all day, I need very close structure like that. That makes me think the question about like routines. I don't have a set place or a set, you know, I, yes, I love my favorite tea, but for so much of this time period, the last few years, if I leave my office, then my children see me. So I can't go get tea. I can't go do those things. I have to stay in that room um, yeah. <laughs> for better or worse. But so it's very calendar based, I'd say is what I use the routine of like, let me check my timeline of when do I need to have this draft out? And then what are the stages? Like if I've got three weeks until that deadline, what's my target for this week? And so then I look at that and say, okay, if that's my target for this week, what do I need to do today? Or what did I get done yesterday? And sort of moving through. So it's like a routine of cross-referencing. Yeah. Um, sounds terrible, but I guess it's more fun if you have a fancy notebook. Because <laughs> then oh, yeah. you can cross-reference in something satisfying. I am a big fan of the fancy notebook. I, I feel like I definitely try to, you know hashtag romanticize you know like I feel like the way everyone talks about like romanticizing your life right now it's like I definitely with writing will approach it I guess with the excitement that I actually bring to my work I do feel like in times does correlate even just where I'm sitting you know if there's clutter on my desk like I am definitely one of those people that feels like starting is always the hardest part I think for most people and I have an easier time starting if I, if I have sort of like a clear space in front of me but I also have learned that if I just start and that's why I kind of do the word vomit like even if I just start typing like there's clutter I can tell my dishes aren't washed I don't want to be sitting here writing yeah just getting it going when you can't have that has been something that I've tried to get better at I mean so much of writing is willpower rather than you know, any sort of special writing knowledge or technique. But I think that's been a big part of it lately is just finding the will to start in whatever conditions that you have that morning or that night. Yeah, I think I do the same thing of like, I can do all those other things. I can go check that email or make the tea or do my laundry. But first I have to write for 10 minutes. Yeah. So setting a timer and just saying whatever, I can do it in 10 minutes, but first I need to do this. And then usually finding by the time I get to minute eight or nine or 15, I'm in it. And so then I keep going. And then the other trick is actually stopping when you say you will, so that you don't run into the next time thing of like, oh, now I need to be working on grading. Um, yeah. So I guess my bad habit is sometimes dwelling too long of like, I'm enjoying writing on paper with my silly pen. And so then I stretch that out rather than saying, okay, now it's time to just move on to the next section or move on and send it out for review. So finishing projects. Yeah. That's more where my energy is. Like I want a secret to how to finish a project rather than how to start yeah. it. How often do you work with pen and paper versus like your laptop? Um, so the early stages, I like pen and paper because it lets me be messy and layer on top and sort of slows down because I can type faster than I can write. Yeah, so yeah. then I have to actually be thinking while I'm writing instead of typing without thinking about it. And then 
well, what I like to do is to draft in pen, type it into the computer, add to it a bit, print it out, mark it up, and then retype it or like add it back in so that switching from one mode to the other gets me unstuck or like switching to a new notebook or new format of paper or switching from Scrivener to a Word document helps me see things a little bit different perspective, I guess, which done to excess probably is also a crutch or a bad habit. Um, Yeah. No, it sounds like a, a great habit. I truly think one of the reasons I haven't been writing as much lately is because my full-time job is on a computer mm-hmm. and grading is on a computer. And yeah. so I'm like, there is no way that after, you know, hours and hours and hours of computer work, I am going to voluntarily sit down at my computer again. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that's been part of it. Like I need to be better about printing things off. I don't have a printer at home. And all the time I'm like, I bet I'd get more done if I had a printer at home rather than relying on my office printer. But I think too, like, especially during the summer, I'm like, I don't want to be inside on my laptop. You know, I want to be outside. And yeah, even just like printing off a draft and taking it to the lake. And again, romanticizing it in a way, right? Like just making it so it doesn't feel like you are chained to your desk and to your laptop is really smart. And I might have to try that. Yeah. I mean, this morning it was also, there was that beautiful day and I was sitting outside and where I was sitting, the cafe table was very shiny. And so the glare of my laptop just wouldn't have worked very well. And so having a piece of paper and a pen, um, I think I do that a lot in terms of routines as trying to switch different modes, which also means that my writing projects tend to live in this sort of weird distributed place they exist in many versions and many formats all at once. And then I try to consolidate them towards the end. And you said you use Scrivener. Yes. Which is something that I've picked up for my novel and have been really enjoying it for novel writing. But I tried to transfer all of my dissertation work into Scrivener and very quickly was like, I can't, I feel like I need to start a new project in Scrivener, like trying to transfer all my notes and reorganize them. I really struggled with it. But have you enjoyed it for academic work? Um, I sort of came in midway through the dissertation and it was useful for some of that consolidation. Um, I work with some archival, but also a lot of published texts that are architects talking to each other, urban planning textbooks or handbooks, but it's in Russian primarily. And so there's a translation phase of my research writing process. So I'm looking at the original. I often, if it's clear enough copy to print out, I'll print it out, mark it up, and then type in the notes of what my margin comments were. And so then the document online has the English translation or the, you know, quotes, paraphrases. I've got little symbols I use to mark that. Um, So Scrivener was useful to keep multiple things loosely arranged so I could move them around. Because that was something that was part of my going from research to the finished dissertation is figuring out the structure of the piece, like thematic versus chronological, wasn't an obvious choice. And so figuring out how to make that work, I ended up moving around a lot of things and then restructuring the chapters and sort of splitting things in half and redoing them. And so Scrivener was good for that. And then at some point I couldn't deal with Scrivener anymore because of formatting. I needed footnotes. I needed very specific things. I needed block quotes to stay block quotes. And so then I moved back into Word and used that. And then I was using EndNote to keep track of citations. And that worked okay. 
but also there's weird things with Scrivener and EndNote and Word on Mac not always playing together very well, or at least they used to. It's possible there's new and better versions, and I just have an old version of a lot of software. Me too. So let's see. Um, best piece of writing advice? Yeah. So the NCFDD, I find it's a little trait, the whole like write every day, but it is useful. Like right now, I, I had a very busy quarter. I was teaching two classes, one of them on short notice, one of them on top before, one I hadn't. And so I haven't written much at all for the last two and a half months. And so feeling that like, oh, I have to remember where everything was, or I have to remember what was my question? What was I working on? What was the direction I wanted this bit to go? That takes a lot of time. And so even if it was just like 20 minutes a day when I was on the bus home, just like writing one paragraph, I didn't do it, but that would have been nice. So the best advice is to aim for that even if you don't get there, like to try for yeah. regular writing practice rather than occasional binges. Definitely. I think probably the best piece of advice that circulates a lot is, you know, a good dissertation is a done dissertation. And I mean, one of my faculty members, when I was struggling to just get things on paper rather than sort of floating in, in my mind and in my archival work, really recommended that, as you're saying, every day, but if you can try and make it, you know, the same time so that you're not always struggling to fit it in. So it feels more like an organic part of your day rather than like stolen time from other parts of your day. And I think that's something that I would like to work on. And I feel like it wasn't necessarily advice that someone gave me, but one of the things I have learned lately is how to try and make the other parts of my day less taxing or like relax when I'm actually meant to relax so that I actually have energy to write, whether it is in that moment, uh, you know, at the end of the day or yeah, on the bus ride home. I feel like I've definitely noticed if I'm not checking my email, if I'm not on social media during lunch breaks, you know, if I'm not constantly trying to like cram my brain with input or output, right, it'll be easier for me to write. And sometimes I like, I know I'm tricking my brain, so I'll resist it. Right. It'll be like, how about you only do 10 minutes? It's like, no, because then I know I'm going to do an hour. But like, I have had times where I've just stopped after 10 minutes and the 10 minutes have just kind of been like, I didn't really get anything done, but it was always like, okay, at least I tried. And that's been a big part of it for me. But yeah, I think it really is just that daily hammering away. You know, I remember my professor saying, if you write two hours every day, you know, this is when I was dissertating. So that's my focus. If you write two hours a day, it will get done. Like it can't not get done if you're writing two hours a day. Because at that point, I was just going around in circles, just being like, I have ideas and they're just spinning. They're not, you know, moving forward towards the draft or anything like that. But it's like, if you have to spin cycle for a while, you know, that is also part of the writing process. Like it's a very necessary part of their process, but recognizing that is, is what I try to tell my own students when they come to me and they're like, I just can't come up with a claim. I'm like, well, that's good, right? Like if you could immediately come up with your claim, it's not a very good claim. So I think a lot of writing is just trying to stay confident in yourself and not totally throw in the towel. Like I remember seeing a tweet on academic Twitter that I really enjoyed of like trying to not let your emotional reaction to each day's work affect you or affect whether or not you think you belong or you have a career. But I feel like I would get to that spot. I'd have a tough day of writing and start to feel those like 
this is worthless. This will never go anywhere. I'm clearly just not cut out for this. And just remembering like, nope, okay. Like that's how today is going. But tomorrow at 8 a.m. or 4 p.m., I will be back here and we'll see how tomorrow goes. But it is a very fraught emotional process. Yeah. So two things came to mind. You were saying about, you know, the best dissertation is a done dissertation and applying that across the board of like, things don't have to be perfect. They just need to be done. And so saying like, okay, I only have 15 minutes. What can I plausibly finish? Like, what can I get done in that time that I have? Because it feels so good to check something off. Even if it's not perfect, it's like, oh, but at least it's like, I sent that email. Maybe my wording could have been better, but it's done. It's sent. And now I can hear back from that editor next week. Um, And then the other thought of like, it is so emotionally fraught, especially when we're all so isolated and the job market is so lousy and the pressure on everybody writing groups or sort of having a a writing buddy was both crucial to finishing my dissertation and then since then sort of making it something that feels like, oh yeah, everybody has these struggles. It's because we're doing something that's hard or doing something that takes thought and energy and challenging ourselves. And so that's been... I guess, a good habit or a good grounding practice of having not just deadlines, but having camaraderie, like having people that I do it with. I had two incredible colleagues in English that I finished our dissertation together, or for the most part. And yeah, like you're saying, it was so nice. You know, sometimes it would just be we'd text each other, let's write for an hour. But a lot of times we'd meet up at like third place and get coffees and actually physically write and then debrief. Um the graduate student Senate also had a writing group that we would do like every Monday for four hours. You know, we'd provide the coffee, um, but it involved the check-ins of like, where are you? And it, that really did help. And I feel like that's definitely something I have felt post PhD of like, my colleagues are still my very close friends, but you know, we're all sort of in different careers, different paths. And so I think trying to find that sense of, you know, being willing to reach out again to people and say, Hey, do you want to, put something on the books or at least do a weekly check-in to say, you know, what progress have you made? I think that would really help. Also, I've seen the more like international writing things that people organize on Twitter. Like at least in my field, people will sort of say, Hey, I'm the only person working on this at my university. Is anybody else working on it? Do you want to swap, you know, works in progress? And those are all things that I feel like are sort of in the back of my mind as things I could tap into over this summer Yeah. You know, all the jokes on Twitter of like, I'm already behind on my summer writing. You know, I think everybody's trying to find those solidarity and yeah, like you said, camaraderie and uh, accountability group. Right. And of course, because the University of Washington has the quarter system, some people have been on break and writing for a month already. Oh, Um, I know. So there is a writing group that I did where it's more like everybody checks in you say, okay, here's what I'm going to write on. And then sort of more Pomodoro method of let's do a 25 minute session or let's do a 40 minute session and then check back in. And there's small talk, not about the writing necessarily. And then it's just sort of everybody's working on their stuff in parallel, but at least we're all there together. And so that's more accountability. And then Hope's writing group has been good also. And then I had a separate actual like let's swap chapters, book proposals, working on things. And that was people who aren't in my field, but I know from a former funding fellowship thing. And so the idea was to have 
an outside set of eyes or like a couple different perspectives on our things and each month somebody would present and so that was a deadline but a friendly one like, yeah like the friendly critical perspective was very helpful um so I guess that's sort of the audience sometimes of who am I writing for starting with friends and people who want me to succeed and then ranging to strangers um in terms of conferences or other yeah I'm glad that this question was brought up because I do think that's part of my problem is that right now I don't feel like I have anybody I'm writing for. I think with the pandemic and finishing the PhD, like I'm not sending my work to my faculty anymore. And I haven't been to a conference, partly due to the pandemic, but partly because I started a full-time job and just wasn't submitting abstracts. So it does feel like, you know, it's in a vacuum. And I know I get things done when I have a conference paper to write. And I think that might be part of my plan is, you know, like actually looking at, okay, what could I feasibly do for conferences and using that as a Kickstarter to getting back into it. I do a lot of sort of public facing work and I've definitely been more engaged this summer in writing for like public facing magazines and online publications like Slate. So I think that has felt like the easier way to get back into my writing is to have an audience that feels more real in my head. And I think it would be really nice to reconnect with colleagues to have that sense of who could actually be energized by my work. Um, and I had a really good writing group. My full-time job is at another university and we had a faculty writing group where we did the how to write your article in 12 weeks book. And I feel like frequently what I want is like a step-by-step -step manual. And that was fantastic to have I didn't utilize it fully because I was also working full time, but that's something I've considered doing this summer. Like it has a daily checklist of like, here's what you do today. Here's what you do tomorrow. And so that can be really helpful for a starting point for like getting unstuck. But I also really am very energized by hearing what other people are working on. So I think that is part of it of like one of my colleagues in history was talking about the use of telegrams in the civil war. I mean, something so different than what I did, but just getting to listen to his work I found my own wheel turning. So I think just trying to re-engage not only with the scholarly publications that are getting mailed to me still, but also just like, you know, trying to find new ways to hear what people are working on and, and trying to rejoin that community rather than kind of feeling not like I'm sort of left it, but just like it hasn't felt as energizing being away from it. Yeah. I mean, I miss having you know, a lecture series, sort of attending mm -hmm. something, hearing other people ask questions, hearing them think through the material. I'm hoping to get more of that in the next few years because that is the conversational aspect of writing for me. But I'm curious, yeah. so you said you are writing a lot, but it's not your work. So, you know, writing as a practice, I try to tell the students in my classes, like whether you're writing for a client or for you know, a journal article or something like there's skills that transfer or there's sort of ways to go about it that transfer. So it caught my ear when you said that. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like right now I have parallel projects running with my writing, like my own writing. And I feel like that's also part of it. Like I remember going to a professional development talk in academia and it was like, you need to pick three things to focus on for like your entire year. And that's it. And I was like, oh no, I have like three things for this week. You know, like, but I think that is part of it is like, oh, I have an hour to write. Should I try and get this article published? Should I try and send this article out to Slate? Should I work on my creative writing? 
you know, should I be developing prompts? And I think that like, I know how to scaffold and like reverse engineer a course. Like if I have these three goals, I am very good at saying, what are the steps I need to take in order to take students through these steps? And I know that's what I need to do for my own writing of like, okay, if this is my goal and September 1st, I want to send this article out. I know I have the ability to do that reverse scaffolding, but I think I definitely just have some resistance to it right now. Yeah, I try to have goals versus tasks, like this writing project that I'm working on right now. I guess if I had to name what I'm working on, it would be like, there's the book that needs to get moved along and has been languishing. There's a specific article that has a deadline and has an audience and has a draft, but it needs to be reworked to fit being an article rather than being a chapter in an edited volume. And so that's like a theme. And then there's a secondary project that, you know, if I put in a new conference paper proposal, it's going to relate to that theme. So I see it as part of the same little sphere of research or sphere of work, because sometimes it changes from the outside. You know, it's not always me saying, oh, I'm going to do it this way. Instead, it's like, oh, suddenly the editors are saying, let's do it this way instead. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more about how you both manage that process when there's an external pressure or an external force asking you to make changes, how you negotiate that, how you reconcile that. Like feedback or like a, here's your deadline, go or both. Both. Okay. I really like receiving feedback. I was very lucky to have really prompt and really strong feedback from my advisor during my dissertation and it always felt like a new launching point. Um, in my own classes, I give my students deadlines, but I try to tell them, I'm like, this is the deadline at which I will give you feedback on where you are, right? Like, I think they're so like, turn the paper in. It has to be good or it has to be perfect. And it's like, no, if you're actually engaging in the process of research, me telling you June 10th isn't going to make sure you are done or not done by June 10th, you know? So it's like, give it to me when you've gone as far as you can without outside work. And I really did enjoy that process during my dissertation of feeling like, okay, here's where I am. I'm kind of stuck, right? You want it to be good. You don't want your advisor to be like, oh dear. But I really, really enjoyed having those moments specifically with comments on the document of saying, okay, I would always within my own document reply, like if it was Microsoft comments and like pretty much word vomit, like, okay, I can move this here. I could do that. So I really enjoyed the feedback and I felt like with my dissertation, I did actually take more ownership over my work than I was used to doing. There were some suggestions that I did feel like I was like, I hear that. I don't want to do that. Like it definitely felt very empowering to have that sense of we are now in conversation about this work rather than, you know, this more undergraduate and high school thing of like, I hope my teacher gives me a good grade. Um, I think that's when I felt the most as if, you know, you are doing the PhD to join the rank of faculty is like, okay, you are now becoming faculty's colleagues and they're trying to help you be the most successful contributor to the conversation you can be. So I really was lucky that I had comments that always were situated as, how can we ensure that this is the best contribution? In terms of deadlines, I am a major procrastinator. Like I need a deadline and I think that's why this summer for me, I'm actually looking forward to because I have nary a deadline in sight. You know, this is my most open summer I've ever had since I started grad school. So I'm like, okay, 
I would like to develop more of an intrinsic writing process and maybe look for a couple things like conference proposals or things that I could submit to. But almost like what you were saying, Mariah, like a soft deadline. Like if I don't apply to that conference, it's okay. I don't need to beat myself up. Where during the PhD, I definitely had a lot of anxiety about hitting deadlines, applying for things. You know, if I don't get this conference proposal in, it's going to have huge ramifications where I think in some ways the pandemic kind of put that into better perspective for me of like, if I don't apply for the conference this year, it doesn't mean my career is now over. But I definitely feel like I like having an external structure, whether that's just getting some thoughts from a friend or having a deadline. I'm not as intrinsically motivated with writing as I would like to be, at least in my current working condition. So I'm hoping I can change that this summer. I recently got some advice, a sort of a forwarded link to an article online that we've all heard before this idea that projects take as long as you give them. Mm. So, you know, your, your work is going to take as long as you give it. And the flip side of that is, you know, always double your estimate of how long you think something is going to take. Um, And so this person was writing saying, you know, we've all crammed something in at the last minute and then wrapped it up and sent it off. So there is a way that if you know, it's going to be only this much time, you just change what your expectations are. And you say, okay, this is my deadline. And whatever I get done by that point, I send off. And I've been trying to do that rather than procrastinating, sort of lowering my expectations of like, I need to be working on it, but maybe it won't get all the way to what I imagine, but at least I'll have started already. Because certain things I do have the feeling right now that I either need to get an article in a peer review journal, get my book proposal accepted, do these things. Otherwise, I'm going to end up with different life pattern, different career, and I'm not quite ready to give up on that yet. Um, Wanting the research that I've done to go out into the world and like have a life beyond my laptop. So those are sort of the motivations of like something needs to get out there. And so I've gotten better at quick turnaround for an abstract or a proposal of like, okay, it's not my best ever, but at least it's out there. Let them decide, let them figure out if they want it or not. Um, in part because during the dissertation, I was sort of two weeks before the filing deadline and there was some personal things going on. And I wrote to one of my advisors, I was like, I don't think I can make it. I need to take that extra semester. And she said, no, you are so close. You need to just finish. You need to do this. And so that was a hard deadline. And that was very useful. Like, yes, there's a typo on page 234. But that's the nature of a dissertation and it's okay. Uh, So it's sort of that balance between some things take the time they need, as you were saying about like cycling through and exploring options and finding a new way to think about it. And then sometimes you do have to just buckle down and finish it. Hammer it out. Yeah. Yeah, I am completely with you there. I, I felt like such a different process between working on the dissertation And then I wrote the introduction for edition of Frankenstein. I mean, that was like one of my dreams when I wanted to become a literature scholar was to get to write the introduction to a book. But I got this offer. It was 2020. And, you know, I had like three months, maybe. And I was like, I can do it. You know, I'm like, okay, it's a 4,000 word essay. I can do that in three months. And I should have quadrupled the time I thought it would take between research and writing. But also, I ended up taking on a care position in my family. I, of course, was not expecting. 
And then the pandemic was the pandemic and I started a full-time job and I ended up finishing, I'll never forget this, I ended up finishing this introduction during the wildfires of 2020 when it was complete smoke outside and the sun was orange. And I went to like a retreat and I just sat there and wrote. And it was so interesting because it was such a different writing process. It was the like, I have to get this to my editor. Like I asked for an extension. She said, you can have an extra day. You know, it was like, okay, I have to get this in. And I, I feel like it's the procrastinator's dream and also their curse of like, now I know I can do it. You know, I did get it cranked out. But at the same time, it very much felt like the difference between trying to, yeah, like you said, accept what can I say in this time frame? You know, like I'm happy with the essay that I wrote. But I definitely will always read that essay within the context of, you know, some of the deepest pessimism I've ever experienced in my life. And in many ways, Frankenstein is the perfect book. You know, I'm glad I was writing an introduction to Frankenstein and not to like Pride and Prejudice during that time. Uh, Because it at least felt fitting. But that was a good lesson for me to say that like, okay, yes, this is being published. Yes, it has my name on it. Yes, my friends and family are buying it. I wanted it to be perfect. But like, I don't even know what that would have looked like. You know, I don't know if I would have ever sent it to my editor if they hadn't been like, we need it tomorrow. You have to give it to us. So I think it's a good lesson of like, there is no perfect with writing, right? A good introduction is a done introduction. (laughs) I do have another example. And again, it's that the conversation with the editors, um, getting back to Hope's question about external impetus. So I had a short piece that was accepted, like the proposal was accepted. It was going to be a thousand word essay in a round table. So, you know, a number of us all in a journal together. And I gave them my initial draft and it was too long. And they said, okay, cut it down. And then in the context of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I had very strong feelings about like what was going on in the world that then I was trying to fold into this piece of writing. And so the second draft I sent to them had a lot of like strong statements, more than I had in the first draft. And they didn't love it. They said, this is really different than your first version. We liked that better. This feels too experimental. This feels not like the journal. And so to sit with that and to separate like my emotional, like I need to express what I think of the world versus like what kind of writing piece is this right now, right here. And so I guess I had three or four people that I sent it to. And I was like, am I off the rocker? Like, is this fair? Should I be submitting this piece somewhere else instead? So just talking it through with people who were friends and colleagues or who I felt like got where I was coming from. So that then I eventually talked myself back into a place of saying, I can meet them halfway. I can find a compromise for this piece of writing that is satisfying to the editors and satisfying to me because it felt like some of the revisions they made some of the suggestions were like no that was my favorite bit or like that was the important part um and so then eventually after like a week of being very emotionally unsettled I was able to get back to it and send them a third draft that they were quite happy with and so I'm going to look for a new place for those other parts of it that came up and so maybe it's a conference paper maybe it's a different format or a different journal but it took a little conversation with people and a little patience with myself to get back to where I could revise it and not feel like it was a terrible betrayal of what I'd been trying to say right right 
I think that stepping away and then coming back, that's why I would really like to cut some of my procrastination habits because that ability to walk away and then come back with fresh eyes is so important. It's like knowing when is the moment to shift from idea generation and sort of floating and exploring and playing to be like, okay, I have to close some of those doors. I can't keep all of them open. I'm going to just pick one and go for it. And so that moment of decision is different than like procrastinating of, I know what I need to do, but I'm going to do it later. Right. Um, So I guess that's also kind of when I get stuck or find myself in a rut to switch either to talk to somebody new about it, Mm -hmm. to write about it in a new format, or sometimes literally a new piece of paper, different shape of paper, you know, use a crayon instead of a pen, use a different word program on my computer instead of whatever I had been doing. I use my whiteboard sometimes, like one of those really big whiteboards on the wall, and then take a picture of it. Um, That's really smart. I should do that. What I would always do during my dissertation is I would write a freak out email to my advisor. And I would just be like, I'm trying to work through chapter two, and here's the problem, and just like totally freak out, right? And like in the process of trying to explain it to her of what I was trying to do and why it wasn't working, by the end of the email, I would be like, okay, I figured something out, right? And then I would click delete, and I would very rarely send those to her. But it was that process of trying to not think of writing as what am I trying to say, but how am I communicating what I'm trying to say? Or like, how do I get this down on paper so that someone else could read it? And that's what I need for my thought process is just the idea of, okay, I'm not trying to think about what I'm thinking. I'm trying to explain to someone else what I'm thinking. And that clarifies it for me. So I always tell my students, I'm like, even if you feel like you don't need help, just come and speak about the ideas. I use the voice memo on my phone or like the dictation tools on my phone or laptop a lot. So that way I can like pace and, you know, actually word vomit and just talk to myself about what I'm trying to do. You know, advice to other writers, weird things trigger breakthroughs. Like the biggest dissertation breakthrough I ever had, weirdly enough, my dad bought a two seat motorcycle and was like, do you want to go on a motorcycle ride? And I was a little like, "Eh, I don't know, but I was like, sure, let's go. So it was a four hour motorcycle ride. And I sat there and I swear I rethought my entire dissertation. And there was something about not being able to do anything. Like I literally, I couldn't write, I couldn't speak, but I could think. And I think also that process of moving, like I always got the advice during my dissertation of like, wake up and walk for an hour and think, and then come home and write. And like last summer, I went paddleboarding almost every day. Um, I live right by a lake. And like, that's also when I've had most of my ideas for writing. So I've just found like, if I need to think through something, I cannot have access to any electronic device. Like I can't have my phone. I can't even have my headphones when I'm on the water. And I think being completely disconnected and just sitting with my mind and knowing I can't go write something down. Like that's when I've had my true writing breakthroughs. So I'm very glad that it's summer and I can hopefully be out on the water again. Cause you know, sometimes I want to be in the Suzuo library feeling very academic. But if I'm stuck in a rut, I definitely need to be as far away from my technology as I can be. Yeah. That was something in writing, both like when I was doing my qualifying exams and then when I was doing my master's thesis way back when, when I knew I needed to just really get something done and sustain an intense amount of work 
for a period of time. Um, I did set a timer and I think I would write or I'd edit or I'd do something for 50 minutes. And then I had a 10 minute walk. And so I would go and like, it was a sort of the same five blocks, but I would take a different route through those five blocks and did that. And then came back down, sat down for another hour and a half wrote, and then did another 10 minute walk. And like, I had to walk and I had to do the writing. And that let me maintain that level of intensity and finish it and get it submitted. Um, So when I'm in a rut, sometimes, yeah, like taking a walk, I've definitely called myself and left a voicemail. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or this is from a long time ago when I was doing creative writing sort of workshops, they said, get a big piece of paper or something different and a crayon or something. And like the thing I'm trying to say is, yeah. And then fill the rest of that blank. Yeah. Which might be from Anne Lamont, Bird by Bird. I did that with my students literally last week. Like I had them switch from my topic is, or like I'm thinking about, I had them switch from I'm thinking about to my point is, you know, what I'm trying to say is, and I saw earlier, like, what's one piece of literature that changed your perspective? I mean, bird by bird, for sure. I was given shitty first draft as like a, you should teach this to your comp students. And I was like, oh, I love this essay. I'm going to teach it. So then I picked up bird by bird and have since given it to many of my writerly friends. So I think that was one of the first pieces I ever read that made writing approachable and made it so that it wasn't like you're either a genius and you have it or you don't have it and you shouldn't try. Like I really appreciated Bird by Bird. That's great. It's fun that we have the same point of reference. There was also um, John McPhee. So going back a generation or two in terms of writing inspiration, had a series of essays in the New Yorker about writing as craft. And so one was about revisions and editing. And one was about deciding what the structure of a piece should be because sometimes I find the difference between fiction and nonfiction, it does make a difference in terms of like, I can't just sit and do free writing for 45 minutes because at some point I am making stuff up. And as a historian, there's a limited amount of making stuff up that's okay versus I can write about things. And I guess I outline a lot. And so that's where the creativity or the choices come into it. Like, how do I tell this story? What is the sequence of introductions, of connections, of relating bits to other bits? Um, And so I like to do that generally off the computer and sometimes with squiggles and diagrams and post-it notes that I can move around rather than in a really strict outline or text-based format. That's what I figured out on the motorcycle ride was my dissertation felt like an amorphous blob. I had chapters in my proposal, but they were all interconnected. Like the things I was trying to keep separate, I realized I couldn't tell these stories separately, but I could not figure out for the life of me how to tell them in three chapters. Mm-hmm. Like where, where did one start? Where did one begin? And I think I had done so much of that work, you know, on my laptop with the text and the archival material and like getting the chance to step away and think more about how do I tell the story? And I do think it's actually one of the things I'm most proud of in my dissertation was coming up with what I thought was a creative way to tell a story that felt just like a big pool of information, right? How can I draw a narrative from this when it all seems to be in the same realm? Mm -hmm. So yeah, 
that was definitely a good part of my process. So you have a piece of, oh, I think we're both going for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A piece of advice. Um, I mean, I think the advice of continuing to read, like don't stop reading, even if at some point you stop folding it into the dissertation because a first version has to go out the door even if it's like, yes, the second version will be the book and then the third version will be something else. Um, being done feels really good. Like That's been something that I wish I'd known or been able to hold in my thoughts earlier. Just how good it feels to like send something off and be done with it. Even if it's not great. Like even if I can see that it could be better. Because I think about that sometimes that if I couldn't imagine it being better, if I was like, no, this is as good as it gets, that would feel like a limit in my imagination. So it doesn't have to be all the things because it's impossible to achieve all the perfection in one. You know, I'm not going to close the field of my study just by writing something so amazing. So that's not the point. The point is to get it out there and have the conversation and have it be shared and talked about and have someone push back at me. So I think if I had one piece of advice... I wish I'd kept better notes as I read. Again, not perfect notes, not trying to like annotate everything, but I do wish I had a slightly better index of like, I know I saw something somewhere, but where was it? And that takes a lot of time to go back and be like, okay, who was it that was writing about this? And I do find my memories pretty good. Like when I print out something and then rediscover my first version of notes on it, I've often highlighted the exact same things. I've made the same comments in the margin. So that's not changing, but just remembering where was it that I saw that. Sort of a little bit more organization, not trying to be perfect, not trying to create my own archive. I just need to have a system. And then also being okay to recognize that the system changes sometimes. So what your practice is will shift based on what you need. And so how I go about writing one thing it probably won't last. So it doesn't have to be the be all and all of annotation systems because it just needs to be good enough for now. Yeah. I think for me, I think a lot of my advice that I would actually give a grad student in my department, we've talked about, right? Like find your people, set up writing accountability if you can. And I think realizing all the things that aren't writing that are writing right? Like whether it's labeling the photos you took at the archive with your 15 minutes that day, or one of my most useful things I did was have a giant document that I just called major connections. And it was pretty much my synthesis document of when I would read a new academic piece, you know, I would take the quotes that felt really important and I'd put them in a category that I'd already created, public-private divide, right? Something like that. And that's where I'd start when I would get stuck. Like I'd know like, okay, in this chapter, I need to talk about this novel's relationship with the public and how it facilitated that. And when I wouldn't really know where to start, going back and seeing like, okay, well, here is what these eight different scholars had to say about it. How is what I'm saying fitting into what they're saying? It helped me remember that Technically, I'm writing because I'm contributing to that conversation rather than just like I'm stuck. I don't know what to say. And still to this day, when I need to feel inspired or if I do see a conference proposal and I'm like, what do I have? I go back to that document because that felt like one of the most scholarly things 
that I did was just create what felt like a cheat sheet to my field. Um, I started it in my comp. I, I need to add to it. Now I'm realizing I'm like, Ooh, the last two years I haven't been adding to it, but you know, that's understandable. I can forgive myself for that. Yeah. So I found in terms of advice and meaningful writing help, something I read that helped me how to write a thesis by Umberto Eco. Oh, I have not read that, but I've heard of it. Yeah. So it finally got translated into English in like 2014, 2015. Um, and what I liked is that it's not about the latest software package and it's not about how to use this or that. And he talks about sort of writing the thesis that is possible for you. And that was very useful advice of like, if all you have available is a local library and it has, you know, this kind of section, you write based on what you have accessible yeah, and that it can still be a thesis or it can still be a dissertation that way. So that was useful for me for grad school. And then now thinking about what does it mean to write about Soviet urbanism and architecture if I probably can't go to any of those archives or those cities or talk to those people in the next 10 years, if ever, we'll see what happens. But so that was a book that I found very useful in terms of just seeing someone's practice and seeing their advice and seeing their regrets because we often have to do something and then be dissatisfied with it because we learned something in the process. So it's not that there's some magic method out there that nobody regretted once they knew it. Everyone always has a research like, oh, it didn't quite fit or I, I followed this path for a bit and then it didn't work out. So yeah, not worrying about regretting stuff. Yeah. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Write For You, and a big thanks again to our guests. On behalf of the Odegaard Writing and Research Center, I hope that this has been informative, affirming, and maybe even inspiring. If you want to learn more about the OWRC, its programs, or services available to University of Washington faculty, students, and staff, you can find us online at deps.washington.edu slash O-W-R-C. In the meantime, for myself and everyone at the OWRC, happy writing. Write for You is a podcast by the University of Washington's Odegaard Writing and Research Center. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Hope St. John. Music by Scott Holmes and Unheard Music Concepts and used under Creative Commons license.